Well, I hope everyone had a great Christmas. Hope Santa was good to you, got everything you wanted, and now it is on to New Year's. Uh, I love New Year's. I love what it stands for, the opportunity to start fresh, to move on, to set new goals, to set new resolutions. Um, I, I'm, if you look at personality tests, I am wired to like reform and to like change and to like new things. And I recognize that most people are not like that. In fact, I'm very much in the minority in my household. Uh, Jen does not like anything new. She does not like anything to change. Uh, when I changed careers a few years ago, you can imagine that was quite the conversation to convince her that that was a good thing. Uh, even little things like keeping stuff, which I hate to do and they love to do, versus getting rid of it is a challenge. I have been known to throw away a few things that others in my family were not finished with yet because I like to clean out and move on. Uh, so it, it's a challenge. It can be good or bad, but I love New Year's as an opportunity for us, uh, even in our faith, to figure out how we're going to move forward, leave the things of old behind, and step into the newness that God has in store for us, to grow, to change for the better, out with the old, in with the new. And in doing so, be in a better position to fulfill all of God's purposes for our life. So will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for the new covenant, the newness that you brought in through Jesus. And as we gather to this morning, as you speak, Lord, show us those things that are old in our life, the things of our past, our old habits, our old ways that are keeping us and holding us back from stepping into everything that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk today about the new covenant. We're going to look at the old covenant a little bit. Uh, Darren has been doing a series called Let There Be Light. And it culminated with the Christmas message last week and really talking about how through Jesus, with Christmas and the birth of Jesus, God ushered in this light into a dark world. Well, Jesus lived his life. He did his ministry. He died on the cross. He went to the grave. He was resurrected. And then later he ascended into heaven. And after his ascension, that light that God ushered in through him remains in this world through us. We are now the ones responsible for shining that light into the darkness. But so often we stay in these old places, in these old ways, in these old habits, where we're comfortable with the way things are, and we don't fully step into the newness. And we get stuck. There's actually a psychology to this. Um, studies have shown that we are just not comfortable with change, that we are creatures of, creatures of not dozens of habits, but hundreds of habits. And, and even when we recognize those habits and those old ways in our life that are harmful to us, that are holding us back, and we try to change them, it's really hard, and we fail time and time again, and, and it's, it's psychological. There is data that supports that we are just not wired to enjoy or embrace change. It's not natural to most of us. So today we're going to look at that in connection with our faith, the old covenant, the new covenant, the purposes of each, our failure to embrace everything that the new covenant brings, what it means for us, how it causes us to uh, not accomplish all of the things and the purposes that we're designed for, and how that light that Jesus leaves in us through the power of his Holy Spirit, how it is not shining as brightly as it could when we fail to step into this. It stays dimmer than it's intended. It flickers in and out. 
Sometimes it's bright, sometimes it's not on at all, sometimes it's strong, sometimes it's weak. All because we are not fully letting go of the old and the past. So as we go into this new year of 2020, setting our goals, setting our resolutions, we want to ask ourselves, are we fully embracing new covenant living and everything that that means for us? Everything that was ushered in through Christ's birth and death and burial and resurrection. As the new light to this world that is supposed to be shining through us, are we doing that to its fullest extent, and what are the implications when we don't? So let's start by looking at the Old Covenant. A covenant's just a fancy word for agreement or contract. There's a couple places in the Old Testament where we see this. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. So in the first service, I decided we had changed the lighting because I couldn't read this as well as I used to, so I thought I'd try it back there, but it's just as bad, so I'm thinking maybe it's me and my eyes. <laughs> All right, chapter, uh, verse 6 in chapter 6. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Then in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, we see it again. It says, now if, and that word if is important in the Old Covenant. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So the Old Covenant was between God and the Israelites. After he freed them from Egypt, this covenant was made at Mount Sinai. Moses acted as the mediator between God and the people of Israel. God promised the Israelites that they would be his chosen people and he would be their God. He gave them the Ten Commandments. Then he gave them hundreds of other laws and rules that we see in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and other places in the Old Testament. And he said if they complied, then he pledged his prosperity and protection in the promised land and that they would be his special treasure. There are over 600 laws that we see in the Old Covenant covering all aspects of human behavior, circumcision, Sabbath, diet, hygiene, and the purpose of these was to protect the Israelites from outside influences by following God's ways and to show and set them apart as different from everyone else. But God knew that there was no way for the people to follow hundreds and hundreds of laws, so he set up the sacrifice system. Animal sacrifices were required because sin requires blood sacrifice. The Old Covenant was meant for a specific people at a specific time in history in a specific place. And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, what we see is the story of God's people struggling and failing over and over and over again to keep their part of the covenant. It was performance-based. It was works-based. It was ritualistic. It was legalistic. Now let's contrast that with the New Covenant. Look at the Old Testament story brought to light under the New Covenant. It's explained in quite a bit of detail in Hebrews chapter 8. 
starting with verse 6. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God, based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. And Jesus, at the Last Supper, gathered in the upper room with those closest to him, announced the arrival of the new covenant in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup, does that ever make you wonder how many cups of wine Jesus had that night when he said he took enough? (laughs) Sorry, rabbit trail. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So the new covenant solved the problem of sin once and for all. Jesus had taught for three years, he had performed miracles, he had raised people from the dead, all for the purpose of showing who he was and to prove who he was. Then he died on the cross as the Lamb of God, a perfect sacrifice, his blood washing away our sin forever. So where the old covenant was between God and Israel, with Moses as the mediator, the new covenant is between God and each one of us individually with Jesus as the mediator. And instead of physical prosperity and protection and the promised land, the new promise is salvation and eternal life and hope and joy and peace. And instead of humans failing over and over and over again to fulfill their part of the covenant, what we see in the rest of the New Testament is the story of Jesus keeping that covenant for us so that we don't have to. There's no more if we do this, then we receive this. It is done because Jesus did it. The old required works and performance, and the new is about grace. And instead of being for a specific people at a specific time in history, at a specific place, the new covenant extends to the entire world for all time. In John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave us one, his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then we like to forget about verse 17, but it's just as important. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So, we've got the new covenant, we've got the old covenant, and for hundreds of years there's been this debate as to what does the new covenant mean for the old covenant. And this debate was renewed recently. Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in Georgia, he wrote a book called Irresistible that explores new covenant and old covenant and and what they mean. And he wrote about how the Old Covenant is God-breathed and inspired. It is useful. It points us to Jesus. It is the fulfillment. It shows us the fulfillment and the end of the Old Covenant, which, which leads to Jesus. It helps us understand the implication of the gospel in our lives. 
It shows us an understanding of God's way in the world. It provides examples of faith in Abraham and Moses and Joshua and many others. But Stanley says that we have to read this in the context and understand it for what it was, which was God's word to Israel at that time and at that place. And that now, because of Jesus, God relates to us differently. So this debate goes on, and, and the question comes, are what, in light of the new covenant, what does the old covenant mean? What do we do with it? What do we learn from it? What's its purpose? Uh, when it says obsolete, are we saying to ignore it? Wayne Gruden uh, wrote in Christian Ethics, he said this, it is important to realize that the author of Hebrews is not saying that some old covenant laws are no longer binding on Christians, but that the old covenant itself, that entire system, that define the relationship with God and his people is no longer in effect. So this debate goes on in Christianity, and, and it's a fun debate, and I like it. I like this type of conversation. I like having those types of conversations. Um, but that's not my purpose today. I'm not trying to answer that question or solve the problem of how do we use the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, what is its purpose in light of the New Covenant. Because, see, this is what we do in modern Christianity. We have these debates and these discussions that divide us, and we miss what's important. Because the question should not be, what do we do with the Old Covenant in light of the New Covenant? The question and the discussion should be about the newness of the New Covenant itself. There really shouldn't be any debate about that. But we still miss it. We miss its significance. As we start this new year, I want us to stop missing. Because none of us can honestly say, that the new covenant did not significantly change the way God relates to us. Andy Stanley put it this way. He said, something genuinely new happens with Jesus, and that changes the course of history and the way we relate to God. So I think we know this, but I wonder if we truly get it. Because if we get it, when we encounter God, it should completely change everything about us. It should change the way we live. It should change the way we act. It should change the way we speak. It should change the way we think. It should change the way we interact with each other. But I don't, I don't think we live that way. I know I don't always. And when we miss it, that light that is supposed to be shining through us fades and dims. So we've got to understand the newness of God and what came with the new covenant. That the old is gone, that our past doesn't matter. We get it intellectually, but we don't fully embrace it. We don't fully step into it. We dabble in it a little bit. We step in, then we move back. We stick our toes in, test the waters, but we don't dive in. We go back and forth between the two covenants. We go back and forth between God's ways for us and our old habits and our old hangups and our old ways of thinking. We like to pick and choose things from the past and things from the old and apply it when it's convenient for us. So I'll ask this. Should we still stone rebellious children, like it said in Exodus 21? Now, some of you who have parents or parents of young children, think before you answer out loudly. The answer is no, we should not. Prohibit interracial marriage, like it says in Deuteronomy 7. There, there's many other examples. You know, we live in this performance-based society, this works-based world, looks at our achievements and our successes, holds us, uh, is really hard on us when we mess up, 
and, and it's easy to understand rules and apply them. But we pick and choose and we draw that line in different places. And I'm not just talking about the laws of the Old Covenant. I'm really talking about anything from our past. Those old habits, those old ways of thinking. Anything that holds us back and prevents us from fully embracing and stepping into new covenant living. It's not even necessarily bad things that could be holding us back. I mean, for me personally, mine, mine, I'm pretty good at just getting stuff done. I'm, I'm pretty good at taking care of business. My natural tendency is to do that and take care of stuff and do it under my own power. And it may be good stuff that I'm taking care of and good stuff that I'm accomplishing, but when I am not doing it out of my new covenant relationship with God and by the power of his spirit within me, then I am missing my purpose, no matter how good what I may be doing is. My light is dimmer than it should be because of that. And that looks differently for each one of us, but most of us are missing it. We take a couple steps forward, we go back to the old. And this dabbling in it is, is really affecting our ability as Christians to have the impact and fulfill the purpose that we're meant to. We apply those rules, those boundaries to ourselves. We apply them to others and how we judge them and view them. We hang on to our old ways and habits, but there is a better way of living that is available to us. Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 3. He said, O oh, foolish Galatians, and what I want you to do is reread that as, O oh, foolish Americans, or O oh, foolish westernized Christians, because it still applies today. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You know, this is what we do. And there's some comfort in this passage because this is not a new problem. It's apparently what Christians have been struggling with for 2,000 years since Paul wrote to the Galatians, but we're still struggling with it, and we still haven't gotten it. And why do we struggle with this so much? Uh, there's probably several different ways. Some of it's just comfort. Again, it's easy to understand rules and performance-based a way of living. If this, then that. Some of it's fear. If I fully step into this, what's that going to look like? What am I going to have to sacrifice? What's going to change? Where's God going to call me and my family? What's he going to ask me to do? Some of it's just nature, simple psychology, the way we're wired, creatures of habits. It's hard to change. But regardless of, of why we have so much trouble with this, it's crucial that we stop missing it. Because that failure to recognize the new covenant and the relationship greatly impacts how we relate to each other and our ability to impact the world the way God intended. That let there be light, that light that was ushered in. If we don't fully embrace new covenant living, that light fades. You know, how we relate to each other is no longer based on the Ten Commandments. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus gave us a new commandment. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. 
Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. I'm not saying the Ten Commandments are irrelevant, but if we live under the New Commandment, it encompasses everything about the old. So we don't need to get bogged down in the things of the old. Because remember, under the Old Covenant, it was those rules and laws and sacrifices that set God's people apart. What they did, their works, their performance. But now what Jesus is telling us here is it's something different now that, shows the, that points the world to him. Now, when we miss this, there are a couple of different categories of, of consequences. One is personal. You know, after all, the new covenant was a covenant, or is a covenant between each of us individually and God. So when we miss it, we miss our individual purposes, and we may be the primary ones harmed by that. But the second bucket is the bigger problem. And it's what happens when we collectively miss it as people of faith. And that collective impact on the world around us. What it does to our ability to be Christ ambassadors, our ability to make sure that light is shining as brightly as possible. Andy Stanley said this, Jesus gives us a new ethic, one that calls us to sacrificial love and good works that make our faith irresistible to the world. So I'll ask this, is our faith irresistible to the world? Or better yet, not the faith itself, but is the way we are living out that faith irresistible? Do people know that we are his disciples by the way we're living and by our love for each other? So here's, some, here's an example of what we're seeing as the impact of us missing this. I read an article recently about millennial, the millennial generation and, and their faith. And, and I know right now when I say the word millennial, everybody who's about 40 or older is rolling their eyes and you want to blame everything going on in the world for the millennial, on the millennial generation. Well, let me say this. Uh, when I go to conferences for my job, there's always a class that talks about the generations and, and how, whatever we're doing, how we have to learn to relate to each other and interact with each other. And I will confess that I probably at one time shared that view, but what I have seen in, in the place where I work, the millennial generation makes up a huge part of the workforce. And I have seen so much value in what they bring in my industry and in my, in my workplace. And a lot of my personal growth has come from the millennial generation challenging me and making me think differently and making me see things differently and asking me tough questions. And they bring so much value. But we have to relate to each other a little bit differently. One of the things I, that always stood out at one of these conferences I went to, I'm a solid member of Generation X, proud of it. We've got plenty of faults of our own, I promise you. Um, one thing this guy taught us is, uh, as leaders in Generation X, so as, as we have now gotten to the age and stepped into leadership roles in our different businesses, how we relate to the generations on either side of us, the baby boomers and the millennial generation, we have to be very mindful and intentional of. And, and one thing that stood out to me is he said that what the millennial generation wants is they want to sit down together, they want to collaborate, they want to talk, they want to make sure that we're on the same page. Generation X, our view is, I've got my page, you've got your page, let's just leave each other alone and get our stuff done. Well, we have to be mindful of that interaction with each other. And so 
Here's what this all tells me about the millennial generation. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And that's what the studies show. And how this relates to faith, four in 10 millennials say that they are religiously unaffiliated. So we're now to the point where that generation is almost as likely to say that they have no religion than to say that they are Christians. It's not uncommon for any of us in our 20s to maybe get away from the faith and then come back. But as the millennial generation is starting to age and now getting into their mid to late 30s, it's, it's, the data is starting to show that these trends are becoming permanent, that they're not returning to the faith like older generations did. Things that bring a lot of people back to the faith like marriage and children are not having the same impact on the millennial generation. The baby boomer generation, 61% were likely to send their children to Sunday school or some sort of religious education. That number is now down to 39% with the millennial generation. 58% of the baby generation was likely to take their family to church. That number is down to 45% in the millennial generation. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this. You know, partly maybe their parents are less religious. Uh, societal factors, politics, all of it has a part. And we as Christians want to point to all those things and say the world's falling apart around us. But when you dig into the data and you ask millennials why they're not comfortable with our faith, you know what their main answer is? Us. One 30-year-old millennial living in Atlanta who was recently married, he said this. He said, my family thinks that she convinced me to stop going to church, and her family thinks that I was the one who convinced her. But really, it was mutual. We moved to a city, and we talked a lot about how we came to see all of this negativity from the people who were religious, and we increasingly did not want to be part of that. So remember, 4 and 10 say they're unaffiliated. They don't say that they're atheists. They don't say that they have no faith. They're basically just saying they don't want to associate with us. So here's what I know about Jesus and the gospel. It is attractive. It is about hope and peace and joy. And those things, as Andy Stanley says, are irresistible. So if people don't want to associate with that, then we need to look in the mirror. There's no doubt that there are great things of faith happening all over the world and happening in this community. God is at work and he is working among his people. I don't want to minimize that. But my point today is that those things are not happening to the extent, to the fullest extent that they could because we are hanging on to old things and not fully stepping into this new covenant living. Our light is not shining as brightly as it could and as it should. It's hard to disagree that we are living in an effectively post-Christian world where church attendance is declining and hostility toward our values is increasing. But rather than relate to people in light of the new covenant, which is where our light shines the brightest, we apply these old rules and these old habits and these old ways of thinking. We create these performance-based expectations for those around us, and our light fades. If you've heard me preach before, you know I'm a fan of Bob Goff. He's the guy that wrote Love Does and Everybody Always. He describes what's going on this way. He said, we tell people to come as they are, but only if they'll change enough to make us comfortable once they arrive. That's not how love works. 
Love says we need you even more if you're different from the rest of us. Love says everyone has something to teach us and God will use people from the edges to expand our understanding of his grace right in the middle of where we live. Love says everyone who's invited is truly wanted. We're meeting people at the starting line, not the finish line. We shouldn't say that everyone's invited if we're going to act like they're not welcome when they, when they come. We apply these rules and performance-based expectations to each other. We apply it to ourselves, and we get bound by our past, by our sins, by our broken dreams, by our broken relationships, by our mistakes, by our circumstances. And all of that prevents us from fulfilling our purpose, individually and collectively as the light of the world. So here's the good news. What does this look like to step into this new covenant living? What does that mean? How can we embrace it and let our light shine the brightest? Galatians chapter 3, we looked at that a little bit earlier. Paul went on to talk about the old covenant in light of the new, and then he said this in verse 25. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of this life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That power by the spirit is within each one of us. So what do we do with it? Verse 10, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So that's the background. That's the how. The power of his spirit living within us. Not by our own power, not by our own works, but by his power. What can we accomplish and how bright can our light shine with that power? And then the what does it look like is answered in Romans chapter 12. I'll invite the worship team to come on back up. First, in verses 6 through 8, in Romans chapter 12, it talks about the different gifts that we all have access to. If we receive them and we live by the power of God working within us to prophecy, to serve, to teach, to encourage, to give generously, to lead, to show kindness, those are the things of the new covenant. That's what new covenant living looks like. Then beginning in verse 9, it really spells it out for us. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring with each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. 
do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That's what living under the new covenant looks like. That's what is irresistible and attractive to the world when we fully step into it and embrace it. The power of God's spirit is within all of us to do that. So that that light that was ushered into a dark world by God through Jesus can continue on through us and doesn't fade. Not just dabbling in it, but becoming that good light that shines brightly all the time. So 2020 is here. It's hard to believe, but it's here. Let's stop wasting our things on the things of old, the things that we weren't created to do, our old habits, our old ways. Stop living under those limitations that that puts on you. And by the power of God's spirit, start letting that light shine as brightly as it possibly can. They're going to close us out with a song. It's called Good Light. And it really hits on what we've been talking about today. To stop acting like a fool and stop living in the past and let that light shine as brightly as possible. That is my prayer for all of us in 2020, that we be that light in a dark world. Thanks for your time, and Happy New Year.